This is John Halsman, and welcome to our flagship Around the World in 20 Minutes, where we try to make sense in our podcast, the beguiling new era that we find ourselves in. And today we're going to talk about a subject near and dear to my heart, Italy, where I live. Uh, I've just got back, as many of you know, from my first holiday, my first grown-up holiday in seven or eight years, where I had five some dappled days in the Bay of, of Naples on Ischia, the famous island there where Sarah drove me around for the first time ever on a Vespa. I sat on the back of a Vespa as she expertly, and you can see her Neapolitan background where she's been dealing with Vespas her whole life, zoomed in and out of traffic as we saw the whole of this sun dappled, gorgeous island. Uh, sat in the sun, I actually read a novel and didn't read the whole of the newspaper for the first time in my adult life. And I come back to you refreshed from this beautiful country that I love very much. And I want to make that clear that what I say today is in sorrow more than anything else. But uh, like any good political risk analyst, you leave your heart at the door and use your head if you're going to make things better. Or as Burke would have it, you see the world as it is, warts and all, and then try to improve it from there. And with Italy, there are an awful lot of warts that have gone undiscussed. One of the interesting things that happened on our trip is we stayed at a spa and we're sitting with older, rather affluent Italians in the spa waiting for the water to bubble up in these thermal baths that go back to the days of the Romans. And what a thrill that is for a classicist like me to sit in a Roman thermal bath. And indeed, the one we went to at Poseidon was a Greek bath taken over by the Romans. Poseidon, of course, is the Greek name for the god of the sea. The Roman name is Neptune, so it even you know dates before the Romans. And we're sitting with these older Italians in the bath starting to talk about politics because I'm having form and bringing governments down. I was in London just a few weeks ago at the time that Boris Johnson's government fell, and now I happen to be in Italy on a holiday when Mario Draghi's government fell. And the people there were talking about the outcome. But one of the things that struck me about why Italy is in such a terrible state is that none of them saw what's going on beneath the curtain. It was all the foreground. Who's going to win the next election? And we'll get back to that as we go along in this talk. But the obvious winner is going to be Georgia Maloney, who probably will become Italy's first female prime minister. Uh, she runs the Brothers of Italy Party, which is a descendant, a direct descendant of the fascist supporters of Benito Mussolini, who formed a legitimate political party after the war. And it's the first time the Brothers of Italy will be in power. And of course, this is the headline in every American newspaper that doesn't know what's going on. I would argue that the problem with Maloney, and we'll explain her situation in, in detail later on in the podcast, but the problem with Maloney isn't so much her fascist antecedents. She herself is forthrightly Atlanticist, for, forthrightly for NATO, in a way that two of her right-wing allies, uh, former Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi and all-around troublemaker and populist on the right, Matteo Salvini, are not. They both have tended to lean toward Vladimir Putin and, and are hostile of Western Europe and NATO in a way that Maloney's not. So I'm not actually worried about that. I'm worried about the fact 
that she's a corporatist, that there isn't a single major Italian political party that is free market, that they all believe in an overwhelming rule of the state. On the right, you have the tradition of corporatist Gaulism, and on the left, you have the tradition of socialism. But nowhere do you have a free market party, which is precisely what sclerotic, heavily indebted, work-shy Italy needs. And there's no party to do that. And so I think that's the original sin and not her fascist antecedents, which I think she's long since distanced herself, house-training and housebreaking this party. That isn't going to be the problem. The fact that she doesn't have an economic policy will prove to be her undoing. But we'll get to that in a minute. What's this longer-term perspective I was laying out to those of us sitting in the thermal waters of Poseidon um, in Ischia? What, what, what was this argument? And it said Italy has been democratically ungovernable for quite a while. This wouldn't happen in any other democracy in the G7. That what tends to happen in Italy is that one of the mainline parties runs a cropper, and then you parachute in some unelected technocrat, preferably here from the EU, who then runs Italy without a democratic mandate, as though this elitist technocracy is going to do better, and then when things are fine, you let the children back into the cookie jar, meaning the political parties. But when Italy is in a crisis, it is seen as being too serious to be left to democracy. And this is against every Jeffersonian instinct in my bones. Ideologically, this makes me sick, but there is real background to this. But more than ideologically, practically, this doesn't work because every time you bring in one of these outside technocrats to save the day, they lack the democratic mandate they need to do the tough stuff they need to do to structurally reform a country that seems unreformable. And it will remain unreformable precisely because these outsiders don't have a democratic mandate to do the tough things they need to. The reason Thatcherism worked was that she kept winning thumping electoral majorities, which allowed her to move her economic policy, austerity and toughness and competition, none of which were popular, but she managed to win elections and allowing her to remake the UK. You can't leave the democratic part out of this equation, and yet this is what keeps happening over and over again in Italy. And if you look back to the days of Silvio Berlusconi, which was 10 years wasted on the right, he is the first populist who really broke the corruption of the first Italian republic, but then installed corruption in what amounts to the second Italian republic. The man is Harvey Weinstein. The man... The man finally was done in by paying off an underage Moroccan prostitute. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. And the Europeans looked at this with evident distaste, the other European leaders. And in Brussels, they finally decided to do Berlusconi in and helped engineer uh, convulsions in his cabinet, which led to his government falling and a government of national unity. And when you hear government of national unity, think any democratic government comes to power. And when this happens, in, in the first case came Mario Monti, who more than anything, and I've known Mr. Monti vaguely and I've heard him speak many times uh, for my sins because he's not a very good speaker. Um, he was basically an EU commissioner and bureaucrat who was installed by the commission after engineering the downfall of Berlusconi to be a safe pair of hands to put Italy back on the straight and narrow to leave behind this hush money for underage prostitutes, which Monty did, and to reform Italy from outside. In other words, it's a mini Troika. The Troika, of course, 
is the grouping of European functionaries led by the ECB, the IMF, and the commission that in essence now run Greece with the Greek prime minister having to do largely what they say in an administrative role because to bail them out, of course, there are conditions when you bail someone out. And so Greece is in essence a colony of the rest of the EU. Mr. Varoufakis may have run away from his responsibilities as Saritz's far-left finance minister, was a terrible finance minister who thought he could use game theory to outthink Wolfgang Schäuble. Anybody who met Schäuble would know he would get the better of Mr. Varoufakis, whose only background is in academia. And Varoufakis was routed and resigned to make millions complaining about what happened while helping the Greek people not one jot. But what Varoufakis did do is make a Marxist critique of what's going on that actually works, which is that Greece no longer has independence over its economic policy and, in effect, is a mendicant of the people who bailed it out, the ECB, the IMF, and the Commission, and will now the Prime Minister will merely be an errand boy for these outside forces, having lost its ability to govern itself, largely. And largely, I think that's right, and that's the direction... Italy is heading in. Worse, Italy, unlike Greece, which is a rounding error in terms of the EU GDP situation, Italy is too big to fail. It's one of the major economies, along with France and Germany, in Europe, so they can't let it go under. Schäuble at the time thought about letting Greece go under because it's simply not big enough to matter that you could do that, make an example of it without hurting anything. Italy, this can't be done, and so the only way forward will be a troika, the ECB, the IMF, and the Commission, in some form or another, establishing some sort of payment system to keep Italy afloat if it continues to flounder. And then the Italian prime minister will be simply an errand boy. Well, they've already been experimenting with this, and this started before, long before. Again, being a historian has great advantages because you can look at the sweep of these things. This started with the unseemly Berlusconi era, where he accomplished nothing, promised reforms he didn't do, isn't free market, and wasted a generation of Italian time, while the debt rate to Italy has now climbed to a catastrophic 140% of GDP. That's the official public debt. The private debt, of course, is much higher. So this means that the public debt is such in Italy that every Italian could work constantly, which they don't, could work constantly for a year, and they'd still owe money. That's how indebted they are. It's off the chart. And the idea that they're ever going to pay this back is laughable because the only way to do that would be to do structural reforms that would raise the growth rate to above 2%. An amazing fact is that Italy is, in terms of its GDP, roughly at the level it was 20 years ago when it joined the euro. That means for a generation, Italy's GDP has in essence been almost nothing, zero. So it is no richer than it was when it joined the euro, which means they've wasted this generation. The debt rate has climbed. There has been no growth. The standard of living has gone down even before the massive inflation now of 9% in Europe and the energy crisis where Italy, not as badly as Germany, but badly, is in hock to Russian energy. And it has no way it's going to grow at 2% or so, which is the buoyant number for an advanced industrial state. So you have no growth, high debt, sclerosis. The public administration of Italy is an absolute joke. The teachers union is an absolute joke. Nothing gets done in Italy. I love living here, but you have to totally give up on the idea 
that anything is going to work in a straightforward manner. The public administration has ground to a halt. And so it is simply a piece of rotten fruit that we're waiting to fall down. And this is a tragedy, given the creativity of Italy, the entrepreneurial spirit of its small businesses, the elan and dash of its creative marketing, the things that it creates and makes in the fashion industry, the car industry, the design industry, agriculture, wine, etc., uh, tourism, it's the second largest tourist destination in the world of France. They jockey for the top one. And having been, just been on holiday, it's wonderful. It's a paradise to live here. I've lived all over Europe, and my favorite place to live outside the UK is Italy, by far. In mainland Europe, by far, because the cliches are true. Nothing works, but the quality of life is wonderful. But it is not sustainable. In the great book, and if you really want to understand Italy... The book to read is Lampedusa's The Leopard. The Leopard is the book about the Duke of Salinas, who comes out of the time of the Risorgimento when northern and southern Italy were united, and he's the last of the old aristocracy of the Bourbon-dominated kingdom of the two Sicilies in the south. And everyone's waiting to see, is he going to act and stop the Italian state being unified or not? And his nephew, who he's very fond of, Tancredi, says famously, for everything to stay the same, everything must change. And that's where we are in Italy. For everything to stay the same, everything must change. I strongly urge my community, though, if you want to understand modern Italy, do read The Leopard. And if you have time, watch the excellent Visconti film about The Leopard with the great Burt Lancaster and the luminous Claudia Cardinale playing the leads in the story. Tancredi is played by the equally luminous, luminous Alain Delon. But you get the notion that for everything here to stay the same, everything must change. And I think that line all the time as I look at the trash that isn't picked up, as I look at the various strikes that go on constantly, that I look at the productivity being zero, the sense of entitlement that Thatcher would see, that people are somehow owed in the public sector a middle or even upper middle class life to do next to nothing. There is no purpose-driven life here. And without capitalism, and remember, as I said, there are no capitalist parties here, per se. There's not a single major free market party. They're all corporatists, socialists to the left, gaullists to the right, but not a single free market party on the scene. It's hard to see how this gets better and how Italy ultimately avoids the Troika, which would be very sad indeed, but I think is where they're heading. But this has been a process that began with Monty, and he's parachuted in to save Italy from Berlusconi, and he's going to you know, crack the whip and we're going to have austerity. And although he certainly raised the moral tone, how could you lower it from the Harvey Weinstein of Italy, uh, who is Berlusconi? He accomplished almost nothing and could get almost no major reforms passed. Why? Because the EU's elitist anti-democratic notions don't work. Without a democratic system to support you, you simply can't rip the Band-Aid and do the structural economic reforms, the Thatcherism that Italy so desperately needs. They have no tradition of, of a free market right-wing party doing the tough stuff necessary to drag Italy kicking and screaming into the 21st century, much as Thatcher dragged the UK kicking and screaming at the end of the 1970s. Um, and so they no longer had to take IMF loans, but became a great power again. You can only do that with a democratic mon mandate. So predictably, Monty fell with nothing being done and Italy hating that this had been imposed upon them from outside. And so you go back to the clown car. You go back to the PD. 
the old Social Democratic Party, which uses being in power as a form of sinecures, that this is almost a feudal state, that they use these positions to dole out patronage without ever thinking of what they would do to help the place. You have the flash in the pan of Renzi, the former mayor of uh, Florence, who comes in thinking he can remake the state with swagger, but he doesn't have the votes, and so absolutely nothing gets done. And then worse, you have the devolution at the time of COVID and the rise of populism in the wake of Renzi. You have the rise of Salvini's League Party, the anti-immigrant far-right party, and Five Star, which is a very, very odd, maybe the oddest party I've ever run into in Europe. It was created by a comic, Beppe Grillo, uh, and just hates all the establishment and thought they would govern through what they called Rousseau. They would, they would make decisions through pure democracy and would ask their membership what they should do, that no one would stay in power for long, that they'd alternate constantly who was in the parliament. And this group, of course, looked refreshing to Italians used to the corruption they had. And it won in 2018, along with the league, a thumping majority of the two of them. They almost immediately began to fall apart amongst themselves. Five Star found that reality doesn't work like this, that you do need representative government, that we don't vote in the Agora like the Athenians anymore, that we have Republican, small r, Republican government, but not direct democracy. This fell apart, and the people who were in Parliament for Five Star found that they liked it and didn't want to leave. And so very quickly, it just became another inept Italian party. Uh, under Conte, Giuseppe Conte, it had two governing periods, but with the pressure of COVID, it was deemed too serious a time to leave to Italian democracy. And isn't that an awful thing to say? And so predictably what happened, you will know. They parachute in Mario Draghi, the famed head of the European Central Bank. He's never held elected office in his life. He's utterly a creature of unacademic or uh, of undemocratic academia and undemocratic time as a technocrat in the European Central Bank. This guy is far from a Democrat, but he has a great reputation for saving the euro, where he famously said whatever it takes to save it. And so Draghi is parachuted in to do what Monty failed to do. It's the exact same system. The EU learns nothing and forgets nothing, to quote Talleyrand's view of the Bourbons. And in they bring another technocrat, more illustrious than Monty this time, Draghi, to bring political stability to Italy through COVID. It's engineered so the Conti government, the second Conti government, falls, and they have a government of national unity predictably again, and it's one step from a troika. It's not democratic at all, and this is the Jeffersonian failure. They think I'm being ideological when I'm being eminently practical, because without democratic affirmation in 17 months. Draghi, who have led a very popular administration and did manage to pass some very basic fiscal reforms, though he's far from in a Thatcherite way reforming Italy. Let's not overdo what he did. But he was supposed to bring a period of stability for a couple years up into the elections. And he can't even do this. In 17 months, he's out because the parties are beginning to jockey for political power again. And, and he's brought down by a combination of five-star, jealous that he's taken over, and the League and Berlusconi, who can see power through Forza Italia and the League, along with Maloney. So now you have the right coalescing in a way that they're going to win. 
But these male chauvinists have underrated Georgia Maloney. They did a deal a long while back when the three parties were roughly equal in terms of their popularity, that whichever of the three did best, that that leader from the right would be the prime ministerial candidate. Well, now Maloney's at about 24% in the polls. Salvini and the League are at about 15, and Berlusconi's at about 10 or 11 with Forza Italia. So the woman has gotten the better of them. Watch these, you know, weaselly Italian men who are basically, you know, their attitude to women is about, you know, anti-Diluvian. It's pre-Vatican II. Let's put it that way. Watch them try to get out from under their agreement. But in the end, Maloney and the right are going to corral enough votes to probably win. And so she will be the first prime minister. And the headline will be far right post-fascist leader now runs Italy. And yes, there are problems in her party, the Brothers of Italy, about some of the people around her still going to bars with pictures of Mussolini and looking happy indeed. But for by and large, she's managed to purge the party of its more crazy uh, relatives, and the party does not represent that, and she certainly does not represent that. So though it bears watching, and it does, we've taken former communist parties like the PD, um, and nobody bats an eye about it in Europe. It's a very odd double standard. Stalin's okay, but Hitler's not. I think they're both evil, reprehensible, and should be out the door. But parties on the left and the right in Europe that reform themselves and become part of the mainstream, well, this is a good thing, not a bad thing. And it bears watching, but I'm not worried about a takeover there. And likewise, Maloney is quite good on COVID that she's been for individual liberty and questioning the government's wrong-headed draconian art of just having society shut down and Italians work shy at best have found out that some of them like it being shut down. And this is a catastrophe for a country with a debt rate of 140%, a number nobody mentions very much because that would be, you know, reality. And so this is a problem. So I'm not worried about her antecedents. And I'm, I think she'll be good on COVID, more libertarian, actually, than, than the draconian government of Draghi, which just ignored everyone and imposed edicts in his comfortable EU sort of way. I think she'll be actually good on any further problems there in favor of individual liberty. She speaks uh, passionately about democracy, which I like a lot. And so I'm not worried about all the things the commentators are going to be worried about. I'm worried that she's a corporatist. And on a little issue like opening up the tremendously badly run cab system in Milan, where it's a guild, but a guild without skills, that so these people can't find anything. They don't take credit cards in the 21st century. They don't know where they're going. I don't just mean that figuratively. I mean, literally, they don't know how to get around Milan. And they use these as sinecures rather than actually providing a service. It obviously needs to be liberalized. And she's against that instinctively that opening up the closed industries of Italy that have led it to ruin, have led it to no growth, have led it to no productivity, have led to the massive debt, opening up the society economically, that's not in her DNA because she's a corporatist, the same as the PD. So in essence, voting for any of these people on economics still leads you to a social democratic or overly government-heavy outcome. You certainly aren't going to get what you need in Italy, which is a Thatcherite revolution, where you free up the animal spirits in this country, go for growth and begin to knock down that colossal debt and use the vibrant creative energies of this incredibly talented people for its own good. But I fear that won't happen. And I fear for these economic reasons, Maloney is likely to fail. And then predictably, you'll have a full troika. You've had these half troikas uh, under both Monty and Draghi but if, if Maloney fails, she's the last best chance for Italy 
And if she fails economically, you're bound to get a full troika, and Italy will no longer be governing itself. And that is the tremendously sad news I take away from this wonderful, wonderful country. It's one of those cases I certainly hope I'm wrong, but I don't think that I am. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this as we talked about Italy as I'm back from my holiday and my discussion in the bubbles of Poseidon on the island of Ischia with the Italian elite, what they knew, what they didn't know, and how we should look at what's coming in the broader historical sweep if we're going to understand that political risk in Italy is certainly on. Thanks a lot and on to the next.